Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop university. At Hop University, we cut the bullshit out of human and organizational performance training. We were born out of necessity. We hear it all the time. Human and organizational performance courses are expensive and hard to find. Safety classes put me to sleep. Help. So we did. We offer on-demand, high-quality online courses in human and organizational performance, safety, and leadership, all led by seasoned safety and hot practitioners. No need to schedule time for that conference, no need to track down the latest guru, and no stuffy classroom required. Join us today at hopuniversity.org. That's H-O-P university.org. Hello! Howdy, hi everybody. It's Sam Goodman of The Hop Nerd bringing you another episode of The Hop Nerd Podcast. How are you doing today? Man, I've been doing really, really good. Busy, really busy, but really, really good. I hope things are going well for you wherever you find yourself. Thank you once again for tuning in. Thank you once again for joining us on our mission to help make the world a better place to work. I believe that we do that through these conversations. Speaking of conversations, today's episode is going to be really, really cool. Some of you might have already tuned in and watched this live. We had tons of folks that registered. uh, And when I say registered, I say that because this was a webinar. Uh, It's absolutely awesome. We had on Steve Harvey, Tony McConaughey, Andy White, Mark Alston, Dave Proven, Josh Bryant, all live for what we called a power hour, a safety differently power hour, where we just took questions and had a conversation around doing safety a little differently. So that's it. I'm not going to I'm not going to hold you up any longer. We'll just jump right into this thing. Here we go. All righty. I guess we are uh we are about ready to make this happen then. So I want to say hello and welcome hello. to everyone that has joined us. Welcome to our Safety Differently Power Hour brought to you by hopuniversity.org. I'm Sam Goodman, host and producer of the Hop Nerd podcast. Uh, you can find me, you can tune into all that stuff over at www.thehopnerd.com. I want to thank our entire panel for taking the time out of their day to join us. I want to thank all of our participants for taking time out of their day to come and join us. I think this is going to be an absolutely phenomenal session. So before we get started, just remember that this is a live Q&A session. Feel free to jump in with your questions, uh, but please be mindful of each other. Try not to step on each other's audio. Um, give it just a second uh, before you throw out a question, just so we can make sure that things don't get too wild and crazy. We like it a little rowdy, just not just not too rowdy. We try to keep everybody in some some order uh, as we start to go through. So, as I mentioned, we have an amazing group of panelists today. So we'll start by going around and allowing everyone to introduce themselves, and we will start with Mr. Andy White. What'd you get? Oh, I thought I was like, yeah, I thought I heard then. Um, hi. <laughs> uh, so I'm, hi, Sam. I'm Andy uh, from, from Christchurch in New Zealand. Um, I'm a lecturer at Victoria University of Wellington uh, in, in postgraduate health and safety studies. Um, and the rest of the time I've been working as a consultant uh, and as a safety manager in other organisations. And uh, as you can probably see around me is uh, all my belongings. We've just, just moved back from Canada uh, after a short stint out there working uh, with, with one of the larger civil construction firms out there. Do you want some more? Oh, that's enough. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Thank you for joining us, Andy. Well, we can move Thank on you, to, to Josh Bryant. 
Uh, morning from Brisbane, everyone. So I'm Josh Bryan. I'm the general manager, people and risk for a drilling company in Australia called Mitchell Services. We have over 750 employees. We work in underground mines, surface mines everywhere. And we started our safety differently journey probably three and a half to four years ago. Uh, and we hope to share some real practical things that we've done and try and steer away too much from theory and just really uh, be able to answer any practical questions that people have about implementation and, and how we use it um, every day. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for being here. We move on to Steve Harvey. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve. I'm also in Brisbane, although I'm originally from Glasgow, just in case you're wondering if this is an Aussie accent. Um, I also, the same as Josh, I hope to be able to sort of share some practical insights also. You know, we'll probably be doing safety, definitely safety too here at Urban Utilities, well, maybe for a couple of years now. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can answer some questions and put you on your way. Thank you, Steve. We can move on to Tony McConaughey. Yeah, sure. So I also work for Urban Utilities, so in sunny Brisbane. Um, Urban Utilities, we provide water and sewerage services to all of the southeast corner of Queensland. We've got approximately a 1,000 employees. Uh, my, my role is the safety culture partner, so taking a, a lead role on basically operationalising the safety too and safety differently thinking. Um, so really keen to share some of the practical specific elements that we've done on our um, journey here. Great. Thanks, Tony. We'll move on to Mark Alston. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for turning up. Uh, Mark Alston from Emotus and Investigations Differently. Uh, I'm a consultant um, working in the new view sort of space, um, looking at safety one and two, um, hop, um, those sorts of things, looking how and safety differently and looking how we can improve, specialising at the moment in improving investigation outcomes and, and helping organisations learn from normal work. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited. By, I love safety differently in the whole safety one and two movement. It just makes it gave me a refresh so i'm um, looking forward to this chat and any questions you might have thank you mark and moving on to dave proven yeah thanks sam um so i spent a long time in my career as a safety manager and spent eight years or so trying to implement well working to implement safety differently in origin and some of that work was in the first safety differently documentary and then i went and did a phd um with Sydney Decker to try to figure out how we might change the role of safety managers to align with uh, safety differently and safety two ideas. Um, still do a bit of work with the university and do a little bit of consulting and a little bit of podcast hosting and just lots of fun stuff that doesn't earn much money. Thank you, Dave. We, we definitely know the feeling. That's, that's <laughs> I thank all of you, all of you folks for joining us again. And thanks for all the folks uh, that are, that, that have joined us. Uh, we have some more folks that we were continuing to admit into the meeting. So uh, I apologize to any of those that are just joining us that have, that have missed anything. If we're just getting through the initial introductions here. So with that being said, uh, we can go ahead and open this up for live Q and a again, please, Please be mindful of one another. Uh, if you have questions that you would like to drop into the group chat, you can do that as well. Uh, please feel free to just jump in, speak up, and ask a question. Uh, I just ask that uh, once you are done asking your question that you please remember to remute yourself. So we will go ahead and open it up to questions. <laughs> the silence is deafening, hey? So... If people can hear me, I'm happy to jump in and open things up. You go with All right. Um, Josh, my question's for you specifically, working in the drilling space. Uh, that's my background. I was a, an RC driller, a blast hole driller before I got into health and safety. Um, it's an environment that I think would be particularly challenging due to some of the cultural and also the the location issues associated with that. How have you found implementation of safety differently or safety too, particularly among the frontline workers, the drillers and offsiders? Dave, we did it quite subtly. So a lot of people can come in with a safety program, slap a, slap a name on it and then off you go. Um, we took the concepts of safety differently and started to implement into their day-to-day uh, -day routines. Um, so starting to change the language of 
how we were doing uh, pre-shift meetings, um, how we were doing our interactions with them in the field. So a total move away from that, you know, let's go out to a jury and have a look at the at-risk behaviours. Like it's just a load of crap and wasn't adding any value. We're going out there and actually talking to them about, you know, what are the struggles that you have with your work? What are the things that the company makes you do? What do you think is a silly idea? If I was to give you $20,000, how would you change things on the drill rig? How would you change the way you work? Um, the other thing we did, Dave, is, is change the way that we communicate stuff like um, incidents. So you usually send out an incident notification saying, you know, this uh, driller's assistant hurt himself on a drill rig and, you know, don't do what he did and I want you all to reread the procedure tonight. Um, we steered all the way, totally away from that, Dave, and the language we introduced was more around um, this is the work that person was doing, it's stuff we do every single day, um, this is the way we want to change it on our drawings, um, thank you for your input, this is what we're going to look at. So moved away from that real um, negative side of, of um, safety into that safety differently space where people are seen as a solution to harness, so move away from the individual work and really focus on um, changing the workplace and changing the techniques and the um, training that we give people um, rather than just focus on the individual. So, Dave, I hope that answered your question. But we, in short, um, we didn't go out, we didn't come up with a heap of PowerPoints, we didn't throw sh stuff up on um, notice boards. It was a real, we actually attacked normal routines and normal communication and just subtly changed it to safety differently and safety to language and hot language. Um, particularly our response to incidents, and that's how we've made a change in our culture. Great. Thank you. I think it's really good. I would sort of agree with that there, Josh, as well. You know, like that's one of the big things that we've done at Urban Utilities, you know, that we really went in and started using safety to safety differently language. You know, it took me started really speaking about like, what can we learn from this, you know, rather than focusing who we can, who we can blame. It's so funny, I've been doing some work on decluttering like our incident reporting space along with Tony and was, we, we were looking, taking a deeper dive into what it looked like in behind the system and when you hyperlinked onto one of the, the settings, it actually said, who's to blame for this event? You know, and it was it was really quite funny, you know, the, 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 the change that we've made, a, a, like a long, the journey that we've been taking, you know, it was really funny about, oh, yeah, who can we blame? And once when, when he stopped using that sort of language here, you know, it, the guys really jumped on board. They loved it. You know, it was like, um, what can we learn from this? You know, what's, you know, what, what we, um, you know, how can we share this information amongst other, like other teams? That's probably something that we sort of struggle a wee bit with just now, sharing the information. But, um, yeah, no, it's definitely true about using the, the language. That's, a, that's an easy, quick way to do it. Doesn't cost any money either. Excellent. Any of the uh, other panelists want to chime in on that one, or we can move on to another question? Not hearing anything. We'll go ahead and open up for uh, for another question then. Sam, I saw one pop. Sorry, it's Josh. I saw one of the um, messages just pop up about what about the work with supervisors and managers. I'm sure Steve and Tony can share some of this as well, but. If you don't have your leadership team on board with this, um, you, you're almost sunk. But you've got to do it in a you've got to do it in a way that you either tell them what you're going to do and then go and do it, or show them the outcomes of what you've been doing. So we chose to do it subtly and go, "Hey, this is how we've been changing communication, and this is how we've been changing pre-shift meetings." Um, and then we pretty much rolled out the language of safety differently to everyone at the same time. So we didn't prep supervisors. The leadership team knew about it, but supervisors just started to see the changes in the routines and the changes in the language and got on board with it. And then pretty much three to four months into it, we said, hey, by the way, we've been doing this. And they're like, hey, we actually really like this. Um, so, again, we did everything very subtly, very slowly, purposely, like absolute intent on making the change, but didn't make a song and dance and, hey, you know, let's change our shirts and put this new symbol on it. We did it very, very slowly, carefully and just changed normal routines. Yeah, I think um, so at, at Urban Utilities, um, we were probably a little bit less subtle than um, Mitchell's. I think we, um, we sort of designed a, uh, like a four-day safety leadership program that we called Safe Simple. And we, we focused intently on 
the CEO, executive and senior management levels for the first 12 months. Um, and we really, really reinforced and, and had specific, um, I guess, activities that we were reinforcing with our, our leaders about what safety two looks like. Um, so we really honed in on sort of learning from normal work, um, removing blame when naturally error occurs, um, how do we declutter our safety management system, um, how do we respond when, when things naturally occur out in the workplace. Um, so we had our badged approach that we, we had approved from the board and, and the CEO and then we really sort of, yeah, as I said, spent the first 12 months doing that and then the last 12 months we've been sort of really honing in on the crew leader, HSRs and, and getting down onto the, I guess, that team leader level out at site to reinforce what this is because it is different. Um, and if you don't think it's different, then you need to start thinking a little bit more because um, this is a different approach to how it's been done before. So um, we've had some success in, in that in that approach. Great, thank you. I see. Uh, I see. Maria uh, has her hand up. Uh, you have a question, Maria. Yes, um, following with this um, tackling supervisors, tackling term management, etc. Um, I have read and I have attended numerous webinars and um, the key thing to change is trust. So how, how you have approached doing all those conversations with the supervisors, with the managers and also with the workers, the trust issue? Because what you're saying is wonderful what you say is what you, we need to do, but if there is not a trust in that line manager or that uh, supervisor, I don't know how well that um, changing the conversation works. Can you comment on that? Um, I think from what I've seen, it, it, it's all about response. Um, you don't win trust by standing on a stage and telling um, your workers to trust me like it's like um, when a safety person walks into them and goes and I'm here to help um, people don't believe it um, so you, you've got to you've got to have you've got to have the response it's got to be consistent right from the top down um, there's no point if if you don't have the right response and that's not a consistent response about wanting to learn um, you're never going to get trust and and the other thing I think is you don't start when something, you don't try and start getting trust from when things go wrong. You start, you get trust from when things are going right. You go into the field, you talk to your people, you get those genuinely curious conversations happening. How can you help them? Like generally, you know, how can you help them help themselves? Um, and you get their trust that way. Um, but it's got to be from the leadership. It's got to be consistent. And it's about response. It's not about the, it's, it is about the words that come out of your mouth, but those words can't be trust me. We're not going to blame anyone. It has to be demonstrated by your actions of not blaming anyone. Um, and that helps build trust. And then, as I said, um, do it when things are going right. Be out there and be supportive and trying to help them when things are going right to improve because they always want to improve. Workers always want to be more efficient more productive that that's just the nature of of most people they want to be better so um support them in that and you'll get their trust but it, it won't happen overnight as josh said it took you know it took three or four months to turn around what they had um and some organizations if it's really bad it'll take longer and other organizations we're already starting on a good foot it'll take less yeah i can sort of come in with that one as well sam and, and maria for me it was basically when I started at Urban Utilities, I would make sure that I was accessible every single time. I would attend meetings where the, where the guys would be, and I'd talk to them about everything other than safety. And then I, I would go out in the field, and they'd just have great conversations with them. The, the lads love telling you, you know, they love telling you what, what they're up to. And, and, and just like what Mark said, uh, one of the hot principles is re your response matters. And probably, I, I say this quite a lot in Urban Utilities, but I'm probably the best person to deal with when, when it comes to something going wrong because I just don't judge them. You know, I really, I, I, I take a, like a real, all right, let's capture the story of what happened here and um, let's get some learnings from it. You know, I'm, I'm really, really mindful of my language that I use when when I'm dealing with the lads, but yeah, I had to work pretty hard to get their trust, that's for sure. So spending a lot of time t talking everything other than safety, 
with them. I think if I can add to that, Steve, um, when I moved over to Canada to work with uh, with the company I was with there, they had already had a year of um, safety differently and a lot of discussion around the very abstract concepts of safety differently and hop and so forth. But that's how they remained for about a year. They were quite of um, spoken in the abstract, the managerial speak. And the reality was when I got out to, the first thing I wanted to do was actually get out to the front line and see people. And I got the, the piss ripped out of me because I had all my you know, nice clean clothes and everything else. But I didn't care. I just wanted to get out and see people. And when you ask them, you know, what do you make of these new concepts? Don't really know what it means. Don't really know what we're actually doing. And the reality is, is that if you really want to get that down to the grassroots, you've got to come up with analogies or, or examples or ways of expressing, explaining, sorry, or representing these concepts in, in real time. Um, you know, we know senior management talking talk abstract, but most of our frontline guys and most of our middle management talking concrete concepts. So being able to make it relative to them and uh, sorry, and relevant to them, I think is, is most appropriate. I'll just, just add add to the specifics of what we did at Urban Utilities. So um, previously to moving into the safety differently view, we um, we sat heavily in the punitive space. So we, we investigated via either, either Taproot or ICAM methodologies to, to um, when, when error occurred. Um, and we regularly um, handed out disciplinary letters in order to try and get better. Um, and that, that created a... A space and a distance between the worker and the leadership, the leadership group. Um, so what we've created is this learning team approach, um, where um, we. What I really like about the learning team approach is it's the same experience for a worker when we want to learn about normal everyday work, and also when um, an error occurs or there's variability away from a prescribed way of doing the job. It's the same experience for the field worker with the removal of blame, um, seeking to understand the story of the work they do and getting and getting out there and being curious. Um, but the removal of, of blame has to come with agreement from the very top. So we've, we're lucky that we've got full support from the CEO down to the executive of operations all the way through to the general managers because um, back to Mark's point, the response does actually matter. Um, that's the most important thing. But the the stories of blame hang around a lot longer than the stories of no blame. So it's taken about 18 months for people to truly believe that that trust and response is going to be consistent. Um, so we've, we've got we've got that trust now, but it did take about 18 months to replace blame stories with learning stories. I think there's um there's a bit of a challenge though in 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 the uh, view that we don't blame and it's something I've seen more and more working at different um, positions within within um, contractor arrangements so that it, it's often quite easy for us to say we shouldn't blame anybody especially if we're top tier contractors or the client um, but if you're down the bottom of the ladder or if you're in the middle you know in the middle somewhere then you know as much as the organisation might not want to blame that individual contractually they may have to do something like remove that person from site by client requirements so i think it's naive of us to think that we you know that i think we need to be aware of how we can mitigate that within our own organizations and within the contractual arrangements we find ourselves in because we can embrace that as a as a principle but um, the practicality of that is some some somewhat difficult at times and you don't want that to suddenly undermine your efforts of um you know we're not going to blame individuals here but just how how the organization itself responds you know, can we move that person to a different project or a different um, area of work um i think it would be it'd be appropriate to consider that but i'm happy to be challenged on that one great Great input. Um, just looking over here at the at the chat, we have a couple questions that have rolled into the chat box. So, uh, from Ryan to the group, when you are shifting from a punitive approach to a learning approach, do you recommend that this shift happen quietly behind the scenes uh, with how we respond, or do you think it needs to be reinforced with open communication from leaders to the workforce? Ryan, if you start if you start taking away blame, I mean, I was lucky when I first took over my role with Mitchell's, I actually looked after HR as well. So I was actually in charge of Rick Mornings. So they dramatically reduced when I came on board um, as we started to really learn from individuals and saying, 
you know, when you've got a CEO going, well, hang on, if it was you and I in that workplace, would we have done it exactly the same way? And the answer is yes. Well, the guy's not getting a written warning. End of story. Um, my point there is that you don't have to do a lot of the communication. The workforce will do it for you. So they suddenly start hearing that, hey, see that communication and that, and that guy got injured? Um, he didn't get a written warning for that because they realised that they made the workplace absolutely crap and he didn't have a choice to do it that way. And the supervisor came down and signed off that that site was okay. Um, he didn't get a written warning for that. Um, you know, these guys are starting to listen to us. They're, they're taking us serious. Like, this is this is working. Um, so that's, that. I guess, you know, do I get on? Do I get up on top of a stage and you know bang my drum and say, "Hey, you didn't get a written warning." No, um, you do it. You do it responsibly. Um, the other thing with blame is that there's a difference between blame and holding someone to account too. Um, very much so. Uh, and I think you need to be clear with your workforce on that. That you know you're accountable. You've been given a set of standards. Um, but if the workplace led to um, someone getting injured or doing something incorrectly, we need to learn from that as a business as well. So at, at Urban Utilities, we um, we spent a lot of time with our leadership group first before, I guess, communicating to workers about what this new view of safety meant for people on the ground. So we really needed to make sure that the way that people responded was going to be consistent before we, um, I guess, changed our approach to field performance and, and safety. Um, one, one really important thing that we did as well was the removal of our golden rules. So um, we, got, we got those out of the way because they were there purely as a copy and paste into our disciplinary letters. And that was my role previous to this one in the HR space. So I was um, swimming in a sea of disciplinary letters um, and it just wasn't helpful um, so those golden rules where we're now we've removed eight of the nine and we've um, just moving into the process for the removal of the final one around um, driving safely um, that doesn't take away from the fact that we've got our high-risk activity management processes around our around our high-risk activities we still have our critical controls and we um, have our work insights approach to understand what work has done but we we we, we, we want to get the punitive I guess rules out of the way to to be able to rebuild that trust. Um, so we're we're very, I guess, overt and we communicate strongly around those things to the field, and that starts to build trust as well. I, I don't know. I think it'd be quite an interesting contrast to uh, perhaps. Tony's view, you're, you're sort of a, at a client level, Tony and Steve, and then Josh, you're at a, at a, a subcontractor level almost, is how do you, because you're obviously trying to drive that, uh, reduce the blame, get rid of the blame. You're driving it from the top, and Josh, you're trying to sort of influence upwards in many ways. How does that contrast and compare between you guys? Do, do you have, do you find you have issues, Josh, in pushing that, up and elevating that no blame as i was sort of defining earlier you know you might in your own organization not want to blame someone but your clients may be pushing down on you to say no you do need to get rid of this guy from site or what have you yeah andy thanks for the question man um sometimes very much feel like you're acting as a shield between a, a client and your own people um sometimes uh, your hands forced but i'll never i'll never be forced to put disciplinary action on one of my people um, by a client, but I may I may get asked to remove that person from site because they have a you know they have a perception on uh, that person's appetite for risk and whether they get it or not. But within our own organisation, we will openly say to our people, "Hey, we're here to learn from this. We're not we don't want to blame anyone. Um, let's learn from it first. We're very very open with them, um, and we find Andy like internally." We find a lot more information come out for investigations and incidents that happen because they know, you know, we are actually trying to learn from them and that we can pass it on across our other 25 sites. Uh, but on a local level with with some clients, yeah, it's very much a, you know, you better be writing this person up. I'm like, well, that's that's a disciplinary matter and we don't need to share that. That's an internal process. Um, and they may want proof of that and we'll actually refuse. 
it's an internal HR matter. Um, so yeah, it is difficult as a client, but I, I guess as the contractor. But yeah, I'd like to like to hear Tony and, and Steve's view as a you know as a I guess owner operator. Yeah, like we've definitely had some experiences where we've tried to influence yeah, some become delivery partners in our world, you know, and and we watch what they're you know we watch what those guys are are doing and they see what we're doing, but they just don't have the appetite to remove documentation like we've done you know like I remember having a conversation with someone around when we removed our pre-start risk assessment process and made called it the chat like our our delivery partners were losing their mind you know they're like yeah we can't do that you know like that's you know who's going to sign for this stuff and actually even internally some of the the guys that were doing the work were going well where they assign this you know like I don't feel comfortable with this process so like it is easy for us because we are sort of the king of the castle, so to speak. Uh, but we are definitely, like, we definitely don't go to our contractors and say, hey, what's happening here? You know, like, you guys are, you know, you guys are doing, doing a lot, of, having a lot of injuries. You know, we've worked with some organisations, done learning teams with them, and really try to support them, you know, and work, and work with them, you know. But, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a challenge when the people that do work for us also do work for other utilities, and they've got a different philosophy on what we have. You know, so it must be pretty hard for guys like Josh when they've worked with so many different organisations. I've been there. I've, I've known what it's like to work in the contract space. So I know how hard, but when you've got all these different safety philosophies, it, it must be quite a challenge for them. But we're, um, yeah, at Urban Utilities, we're, we're promoting um, the adoption of our work insights approach. So we're, we're interested in understanding normal work from the delivery partner's view, so we're we're promoting our work insights approach. We um we run we run learning teams with our delivery partners to seek seek to understand um, their challenges, um, and we are really we we're turning our attention much more to running the safety differently lens across the delivery partner space more so um, I guess this year. So we focused a lot of it internally initially, um, but to get it. To get the safety differently view up and running well, you do actually have to um, have a well-informed um, support function space as well um, across in procurement, finance, um, across in your risk and resilience and legal spaces. So really getting that alignment across the board to support delivery partners is, is very important. Sharing with this group, being completely honest, like I, um, I deal with 15 other clients, 25 different sites. Um, you'll go and meet, you know, your alternative with a client. So you're talking to another HSE manager and just say, oh, you know, we approach safety differently and we use safety too. What's that? So, you know, there's a lot of people in the space who don't actually know what safety too is. And then you go, oh, you know, have you, have you read some of um, uh, Dave's stuff around the, the safety of work versus worker safety? Oh, what are you talking about? Maybe you're a safety boff, and I'm like, no, like you, you think safety differently and safety to a common language. Like, you know, you look at you look at Mark's investigation techniques, the, the investigations differently. I've seen large, like um, you know, global mining companies use that technique. And then you'll go to another mine, you go, Oh, you would have seen this everywhere, and they're like, We have no idea what you're talking about. So internally, it's it's quite you know, it's been difficult um, implementing um, safety differently or just changing that language. But when you're trying to influence clients as well and you're like, oh, you know what I'm talking about? And they got, I have no idea what you're talking about. So don't think that this safety differently or safety too is as widespread. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to use this as widespread as the coronavirus. Um, I wish it was. I wish it was a, a common language at every client so that you could, um, they know where you're coming from and know why you're trying to remove blame and why you're trying to implement learning teams. Um, so yeah, that's that's just been one of the struggles as well, personally. Maybe you don't have to label it. Maybe you just need to present it as it is, as your method of uh, how you work in your company and how you communicate with your people. Don't label it because yeah, they're going to say, "What was that? Are yeah. you kidding me?" <laughs> we we definitely do that, Maria. Internally, we haven't labeled it, but it's more uh, when you're talking to another HSC manager. It's like a it's almost like you're trying to give them a resource where they can go to. Oh, if you go to investigations differently, you know, go to this website, have a look. at Oh, you know, Dave and Ray have got this um, podcast. You guys listen to that. You know, you could learn from that. So we try not to label it. But if you're going to talk to someone about this language and they go, what are you talking about? You've got to give them a lead and go, look, 
you know, go and read a, a book by Eric Holnagel. It'll give you a start. Have a look at the work by Todd Conklin. It'll give you a start. Sometimes the clients show interest. Sometimes they just, not nah, the legislation says this and you will write this guy out. Yeah, one of one of my reflections on our on our approach was we we kind of definitively kind of labelled safety one and safety two and got got um you know I guess really clear about we didn't want to be this and we want to be this moving forward um, and at times that probably wasn't helpful in terms of it made it probably trickier for some people to accept the change because it felt like we were saying um yeah what we were doing in the past was wrong even though that wasn't i guess the intent of what we were trying to to do by by saying that um, so a learning yeah would be to yeah not be too i guess pushy or bullish about the new view approach i think, I think um, um one of the things that I, I'm going to go back to metaphors and analogy. Um, Dave's probably going to bite my head off because he knows how much I love metaphor. Um, one of the most prevailing things in, in all of safety science or safety practice are metaphors, whether they're pyramid schemes or they're um, icebergs or so on and so forth. We know that these things sink and, and uh, well, no, it's not icebergs don't sink, but you know what I'm saying. They, they, they get stuck in one's mind. So they're effective but they're also very reductionist. They're very simple models. Um, nobody really goes and reads Heinrich's theory and so forth. They'll just know it by simple analogies, simple pictures and metaphors. And I think that that's kind of what I was suggesting with, with safety too, or safety different or hop is that the principles themselves are quite helpful, but when you can put some kind of story behind them or some kind of analogy that makes people kind of understand, oh, that's, that's relevant. It's a very powerful tool in terms of persuading people to to think differently and to reflect on their own practice. When you say error is normal, it doesn't really mean a lot because um, and because people come back at you go, well, you've got to do something. And you go, well, yeah, of course, you've got the fifth principle. You know, where learning's where learning is um, important, and so forth. But if you start putting a story there, like, well, you know, white collar workers, they've got two buttons on their keyboard because they make mistakes every day backspace and a delete button you know so we're all prone to error we all make errors and then you you make it personable you make it relative and you've got an analogy that brings that principle to life and i think that's something we ought to be paying a little bit more attention to is um sharing our own reflections our own stories i think that's one thing steve and tony you do exceptionally well from your own personal experience i know mark does exactly the same josh you, you don't make it about work you make it about personal life but i know you've got some brilliant for reflective stories um and that that it sinks and it, it makes things uh, it makes things i, I guess uh, palatable for people rather than just this new approach and you know what comes across as quite academic perhaps Excellent. Great uh, I think, um, sorry, I just want to, I think sometimes we talk like as safety people, we jump onto something and we go, oh, this is a new intervention. Um, like this is a new intervention, so we want to brand it, label it, market it, um, show we've done something new. Um, but I think this is not, it's not a program. Like it doesn't matter which is safety one and two, safety differently, new view, hop, whatever you want to call it, they're not programs and there's a risk of treating it like a program and branding it and 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 getting out there and saying, we're doing this now. And I, this sort of all clicked for me a, a few years ago and I was sitting around a, a meeting of uh, a safety meeting, weekly safety meeting, and I saw um, the um, – um, sorry, <laughs> I saw um, um, all the faces on all the workers and they just – they just, can you shut up because I want to get to work and do my job? I'm not interested in what you're having to say. This doesn't affect me personally. I don't care what you say. It'll just be the same old day that I've done for the last two, three, four years or whatever. So it's how we act as leaders and how we get our leadership team to act, the decisions they make, the capacities we build in our organisation that'll make the change in this, this space. And I think it's dangerous to label it. It's dangerous. I think it's not dangerous, but I think there's some risk with labelling it and, um, and marketing it with a big bang to start with 
without having all your without having everything all your ducks in a row so i think it's really important to not treat as treat it as a, as an intervention but more as a different way of how we work um and i think that's the key that's the what i've seen the key to success with companies that are doing it. and 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 josh and at mitchell's and, and and tony and steve at, at urban are two companies that i've seen personally do this that it's the they it's the way they getting their leadership to respond behave and the capacities they're giving their people the empowerment they're getting their people that's the difference um yeah treating it as our, our next beyond what is it beyond zero um sort of program or whatever you want to label it or um you know i think that's that's an error that some organizations can make in trying to implement this um ideology ethos way of operating what do you reckon dave um no look i thanks mark good segue um i wouldn't overestimate the impact that senior managers have in an organization so when i did um the work at origin i sort of didn't even talk to the senior management about what we were doing. All they're interested in is seeing performance and things get better. And it was a large organization. I focused more at the operational management uh, level of the organization. And we did a bit of research that kind of said that from a frontline worker perspective, they really don't give a stuff who the CEO is. You know, when we were doing some um, focus groups on a particular topic with the frontline, they said, look, I just crossed the road. You know, CEO's never done anything for me. Doesn't, doesn't know my name, nothing that he does or she does in their day has really any bearing on what happens in my life. Um, it's kind of all about my supervisor and my operations manager. So we, we sort of started there and we, we didn't brand anything. Uh, we, all we did was say that we're disconnected from the needs of our people in the field and we need to fix that. So that's how, how we started. And then once things start getting better in the organization, because you're, you're more aligned with your frontline people and you're supporting them better than senior management come along because performance gets better and the business gets better. So we did that over about six or seven years and I don't reckon anyone on the board ever heard the word safety differently or safety two or new view because I knew if I was going to have a philosophical argument with the board of directors, then we wouldn't get our heads out of our ass for two years because um, they'd all been CEOs in the 90s and they all knew how to manage safety. Um, so I just ignored, I just didn't even go there. And all I did, like what Josh was saying, was provide a shield between senior management and operations management. Um, and so whenever senior management asked a question, we say, no, 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 we've got this. Operations management are all over it. We've got it under control. Um, and that was kind of the way of making really fast progress. The downside of doing that is the sustainability. So if key man key operations managers leave, and it's not something that's well known and well institutionalized in the organization, then the organization regresses. And that's um, probably the biggest lesson that I made. And Josh, that'd be the biggest risk for you. If you lose some change in key personnel, it depends on how much, um, how much it's actually part of the fabric of the organization. Yeah. I think I'm a pretty, yeah. yeah. Agree. I'm, I'm a pretty big, I'm pretty big stick in my, in my organization in that um, I have a CEO that absolutely trusts me and what we've been trying to do. Um, I have a HSE team that's fully aligned with everything that we're trying to do and they practice the language. If I was, you know, if I was to leave the business, um, I think it would be sustainable at a local level, which the HSE team look after. They look after a number of sites each and I think that would be sustainable. I think an es some essence of it would stay from the CEO and leadership team, but, you know, not everyone sees safety or the way of doing this way of work, as Mark said. Um, not everyone sees the way to go and it's like, well, the legislation says this and what do you mean we're not writing these people up? Don't they know better? Um, yeah, it's... You, if, if you've got a firm belief in it and those who have a firm belief in it around you, yeah, it's sustainable. Um, but it only takes one person to come in and just go, no, this is crap. We're, gonna, we're introducing zero harm and then you can undermine everything. Um, Dave, there's a question uh, in the board that says... Um, safety differently has it been attributed to you know return on investment profits demonstrable improvements I don't know what you saw you, you know you just gave some examples about you know the business was running better um, everything was humming along I guess all we've really seen as a business is I wouldn't say that my triff has lowered 
because no one in my business knows Triff apart from me and my leadership team. So I can't can't attribute a drop in Triff. Um, but what I can what I can say what it's done culturally is improved our retention um, and has reduced our turnover just because it's a it's a better place to work. It's a safer place to work. Um, our employee surveys are quite strong in that people feel that they do have a voice, uh, that their supervisors do have their best interest in mind. So I can't say that Mitchell Services is a more profitable um, business as a result of the implementation of Safety Differently or Safety 2, but I can hand on heart say that there's definitely a better place to work for our people. So to echo those thoughts, Josh, um, where we've removed, there's another question in there which is aligned to your response around how do you measure? Um, so we, we've also removed the TRIFA LTI um, ratings from our, our reporting and our sort of dashboarding up through to the board. Um, we do measure a serious injury frequency rate, um, which um, I guess is something that we still shoot through to the board. We have, um, over the last couple of years, seen a reduction in medium and high-level um, or high-rated injuries. Um, that's, that's you know, from our own visibility in the, in the health and safety team. Um, I can't attribute, attribute sort of increased profits off the back of the approach, um, but our, uh, similar, similar to you, Josh, our, our engagement and enablement ratings, our, um, our culture surveys that we've been doing have um, been on the steady increase um, in this space, which has been really, really promising. Sam, I think um, Eric has put a great question up, which is um, what have you learned through implementation of these principles and, and, and wish you'd known at the very beginning? And I think um, one of the things that I've observed both in my own practice and, and helping other businesses is I think having an awareness of what a business case looks like and what some simple some simple understanding of change management is really, really effective. Um, there's many, many times where people don't form sort of a... a a sort of critical mass before they even engage in some kind of project like this. Um, and when I look at, so when I talk to Kim Bancroft, for example, uh, with, with Tony and Steve, you know, she put together quite a comprehensive business plan. Um, she developed a stakeholder group that was going to work with her on that. And other organisations I've worked with have really gone out and worked with other departments to go and see value in that. So working with human resources, uh, working with um, other areas of operations. So building up interest and building up a, a critical mass before launching into some huge project. Um, so I, I think without getting into whole heaps of textbooks and stuff, I think just getting a basic understanding of change management and, and how to write a decent business plan, just look at the project management body of knowledge or something like that, will give you a great insight into how business people think um, and, and how you can tailor your sort of approach so that you're ticking the boxes that matter to them. Um, I, I'm keen to hear from Dave because Dave's got a huge amount of experience with his MBA in, in talking in business language but I think it's something we, we I wish I'd known more about when I began on this on this journey. Yeah, um, thanks, Andy. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to be called out there. You're 100 percent right. And doing the MBA was that was actually one of the unexpected benefits for me was I was able to communicate safety much better within the organisation. Uh, just understanding what the drivers and levers are within the organisation that the organisation really truly gives a shit about at a high level. You know, individually, we all care about safety. We all care about going home and all the rest of it, all those nice motherhood statements, but that doesn't make the organisation move. You know, profit and loss makes the organisation move and understanding where we sit within that and how to communicate that across the company was massive. And you're absolutely right. You know, PIMBOK, the project management body of knowledge, one of the units I did was project management and seeing how that all came together at a theoretical and conceptual level to say, you know, when an organisation is looking at, are we going to go and do this project? You know, you've got your business case, you've got how that all comes together. And then the finance side of it as well with your net present value and you know, is the organisation actually going to see money out of this? Being able to fit safety into that discussion was, I won't say game changing, but it was a huge piece and really helped me. Something I would definitely recommend to all safety professionals is go and do some business training learn how the rest of the organization thinks i think one of one of the things i would say is um a lesson is um like every single conversation that you have every single day is really really important um so 
like I remember, you know, having a standoff with the CEO who was talk a CFO who was talking about um, the need to have standard operating procedures for every task in the field. And I said, well, how many standard operating procedures do you have to do your job? Like end of month financial returns and that? Well, none because I'm experienced and professional and you don't think the people in the field are experienced and professional. Like, and so, and so when, and when management start talking about an incident and, and what the person did wrong, you know, telling a second story, telling, retelling that same incident story to management through the lens of the people involved. Um, And so that's the biggest thing for me because I sort of bumbled along and was doing a bit of my normal work and then was, was trying to do safety differently when normal in terms of what was expected of me and then trying to do safety differently. And I think my reflection was I, I should have taken more of a stand at the very start and made sure that every conversation that I had in my role was consistent and impactful. Um, that's, And not being afraid, just give things, that was the thing, is not being afraid to try things. Um, Many experiments, um, you got the trust of the people and you say, look, let's give this a go. I think the the whole thing about Safety Differently was the freedom that it gave me Um, and to not be restricted in what was, you know, normal normal expectations of of safety um to actually get out of that box and be free and actually ask my client which is the worker what do they need you know what what do they need um and be curious about them that that and have that freedom to that so rather than like reversing the reversing um, the onus and getting direction from them rather than me giving them direction. And as and when Dave, to Dave's point, it's that conversation change. I try and get Dave to leaders is the typical conversation that a leader goes in the workforce is, you know, the, the the poo sandwich or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's then the leader comes down and gives their wisdom or insight to the guy doing the job or the person doing the job. Um, it's the reversal of that. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned is actually reversing that and being the person that the and and asking the worker to tell me about their job, not me tell them about their job um, and how my job can help their job. That's what I want to know from them. So that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned um, and that freedom to, and the freedom to just stop thinking about safety in terms of the typical box that we put it in um, and get outside of it. If it doesn't work, change it. So that was my big, that was my big learning lesson. I think from a personal perspective, um, the only other thing I would sort of add to this is that um, I think one of the things that I've embraced ever since I was an engineer and then have travelled around the world and worked in Antarctica and all kinds of cool stuff I've done in my job, um, the one thing I've always tried to do is be reflective of my own learning. Um, so um, if I don't know, I don't know. But what I'll do is I'll go straight on Amazon and buy a book about something that I think is appropriate to learn about. Um, if I pick up a Sydney Decker book, I don't just read Sydney Decker books. I'll go and have a look at who's he, who he's looking at, you know, who's he referenced, and go and find out a little bit more about it. And there's two two people who've been very influential in, or three people actually been very influential in that space. And um, one is Drew Ray, who just sends me ridiculous books to go and read that have I have no idea how this relates to safety, but it broadens my mind. Um, probably Dave, because Dave pushes me to look more at evidence based uh, research so I've you know go and look at a lot more articles um, and perhaps the other person is John Green who really has been calling for many years for safety professionals to broaden out from the natural sciences to go and look at things like philosophy and sociology um, basic understandings of psychology because what we do know is that safety is one of those disciplines that's been heavily abstracted from other areas, from business and organizational science, from psychology and in the process of abstracting things you lose detail you lose real understanding about the context and why this matters. Um, and, I, and I really, I know one of my students in the room at the moment, um, and I really implore my students to go back and look at some of that original literature and go, wow. I'll take you, for example, Patrick Hudson's culture ladder model. When you actually look at the detail of that particular piece of work that has just spread the world over, you find that it was only a handful of people who were actually involved in that study. You find that the mechanism within which we 
suppose people move through different cultural levels is actually from a drug addiction or an addiction uh, study in, in uh, medicine and psychology. It's, it's taken from an individual change perspective and applied to huge group change. But, of course, people are trying to find their way in the world and they're trying to find research that helps and supports, but they're only ever going to be snapshots in time. So I think it's really important to go back and, and just become aware of these, these assumptions we have and where this research has come from and where these ideas have come from, because none of it's amazingly new. It's been around for some time. It's just perhaps framed in a different way for us. We always say that, like Andy White, bloody reads three, three books a week. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm not, I might be reading, but it doesn't mean that I wrote this stuff. You know, this stuff is, yeah. is there for us all to access. Um, and, and in many ways, it's never going to be all of us that can sit and read this stuff. So connecting with people and, and sharing ideas, that's, that's definitely going to be the best way to get a better understanding of, of all the literature that's out there and all the ideas that are there. If you're, yeah, stuck, for time, if you're stuck for time, just jump on Ben Hutchinson at LinkedIn. I know you're on here, Ben, because I read every single article that, that you read so that I don't have to. Excellent. Well, thank you all for your responses. I think we're getting towards the uh, towards the end of our time here. Um, we've been going for about a solid hour now, so we're getting ready to start wrapping things up. Uh, I wanted to give everybody that's on the panel time to go around and kind of give some final thoughts. Uh, so we can go ahead and start with Tony if you want to. You want to get started? Any final thoughts to our group or anything that you would like to share? Oh, uh, it's probably just more uh, a call out that if anyone wants anything, um, I guess specific about the processes that we've changed around implementing our work insights approach, our change management approach to decluttering, our learning teams methodology, um, you know, the way we've changed our reporting, any, any, of, any of the specific things that we've done, I'm more than happy for people to reach out and, um, and share some of those things so they can learn a little bit more. Great. Thank you, Tony. We move on to Josh. Do you have any, any final any final words, Josh? Um, we, we did this for the right intent, which was never about making the business better. It was about making workplaces better, um, making things easier for our people, giving our people a voice. Um, if there's one thing that I could pass on, it's if you're trying to make this change, um, do what you, you have done and leverage off your early adopters. Like Find the ones who, who like get it and leverage off that so that you don't, you know, you're not the one-man army. Um, you know, you, you can actually take people on with you. Um, and really, really understand the fundamentals of HOP. Uh, I, I think it's extremely important that, they, that you understand the five principles um, because you can actually apply them to life and how you look after your kids because um, response does matter. Here is normal. Your kids make mistakes. You do as well. Um, so I just... I think Hopper's a philosophy is, is fantastic in life and work. Great. Thanks, Josh. We can move on to, uh, move on to Andy. Uh, look, I think it's just sort of, I guess I've taken up a lot of everyone's time. I think there's um, three things I would perhaps think about. Um, the, the first is I would definitely encourage people to go and read some basic material on, on change management and um, what it takes to write a business plan. There's plenty of resources available. Just find out how successful business people create change in their businesses and how they put projects um, out there into the world. The, the second thing I would really emphasize is um, writing an elevator pitch so that when you are in that elevator and you've got two minutes to describe what it is you do and what you why you want to do this, have an elevator pitch. You know, that might be a, a reflective question. It, it, it might be a sales pitch, but you need to be able to articulate this quickly so that people want to get engaged with what you're doing. Um, if you're going to spend hours explaining the five principles, it can become time consuming and, and nobody really wants to engage with that. So finding a simple sales pitch would be very helpful. Um, and I think finally, the thing that I've been emphasizing for years is we have got to get better. At, uh, we've, got to, we've got to get better at asking the better questions. So that requires us to think very differently about the things that we see each and every day. Um, and I, I really encourage people to 
don't think that curiosity is something that you can be trained in or you just attain. It's something you have to develop. And that means getting out, asking questions and being vulnerable, being prepared to not know the answers. Um, and that's a precursor for anything like learning teams. Great. Excellent, Andy. Thank you so much. Steve. Um, I just noticed Carolyn's jumped off there, but I, I was going to sort of respond to her question there about the regulator. So one of the things that we did at Urban Utilities was we, we got the regulator involved. You know, we brought them into some of our sort of some of the activities that we were doing. You know, um, unfortunately in Queensland, we probably lost our best ally to Griffith Uni, which good for me, I suppose, because he's my lecturer at Griffith Uni now. But um, interesting, interesting case. You know, it was really he, he was brilliant. But yeah, we we definitely try. And involve the regulator and, and you know just show them some of the stuff that we're doing and they love it to be honest you know there is a few stuck mindsets in there but um it's something we, de we, we definitely look to do me personally you just need to go and do it you just need to go and do you know just give it a shot just give it a try happy to, and if anyone wants to reach out i'm happy to sort of give some advice as well so yeah yeah it will definitely change your perspectives great thank you steve moving on to mark uh, well, yeah, thanks everyone um, for tuning in today. Um, people often ask, where do we start? Because this is the hard thing and, 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 and you know, Steve says jump in, jump in um, and do something. But I think um, the best place to start in this space is your sphere of control. Work out in your organisation what you control. Start there. You know, what can you change? If you own a system... Um, then look at that system and see how you can improve that system. Um, once you once you look after things you can control within your own team, within your own um, what you what you're accountable for, then go to sphere of influence and then start looking at those where you can influence. Uh, look for those early adopters. So if you own change management, you own incident investigation, you own risk management, start there. How can we how can we engage there? How can we improve that? And just it's like eating an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. So start with your sphere of control and then move outwards from there. That would that would be my advice. And and like all the other panelists, and I'm sure everyone that's probably tuned in here, um, connect with us on LinkedIn. Talk to us if you've got if you haven't anything, um, send us a message. Um, always happy to happy to chat and got a bit of time to do it at the moment. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Moving on to Dave. I think we've spent, I think we've spent decades <clears throat> taking taking the humanity out of our organisations and, and replacing it with kind of like treating people as units of labour. Um, and I just think this is a, a big part of this is just putting the humanity back into our organisations, being um, being better connected with people, being better understanding of their needs, being prepared to help people and sacrifice our own kind of immediate needs to help someone else in the organization and that so i i kind of really like in the safety differently space about safety being kind of this moral responsibility and, and really just trying to think about what's the right thing to do by the people who are in your business um and yeah it's good that the business comes along but i think like what josh said at the start um of the reflection just um doing it because it's the right way to treat people Great. Thank you, Dave. What a, what a powerful message there to end on. Um, I want to thank the entire panel for joining us. What an amazing group of people that we have had on. Uh, again, thank you so much. Thank to everyone that has, has tuned in and registered and, and had the opportunity to come hang out with us. This has been absolutely amazing to get to listen to this group of folks. Uh, one thing that I, I do want to share again is that uh, everyone here seems to, to, to say that you tune in and, and make sure that you reach out to them. Seems like it'd be a really, really valuable resource to you. Any final questions before we, before we finish up? Not hearing anything. I, I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you once again, everyone, for, for hanging out with us. I know exactly what you're thinking right now. And you're thinking, holy crap. 
that was pretty cool, right? <laughs> That's all I could think the entire time that this thing was going on. Uh, those are some of the most amazing hop folks, uh, safety differently folks. I don't, I don't even want to put a label on it. These are just folks that are out there trying to make safety not suck, right? That's the best way that I can put it. That's trying to make things better. And I think that's a pretty cool thing that we're just trying to make the world a better place to work. I love that. I thought that that was great. Uh, if you want to check out more free webinars coming up in the future, you can tune in to hopuniversity.org. That's H-O-P-university.org. There's tons of resources that we're starting to offer there, just like this, just like this free webinar. You can also go over there uh, and click webinars and watch the video of this, which was really, really cool. So I would encourage you to do that if you would like. But again, there's tons of awesome stuff that's happening over there. So feel free, check that out, hopuniversity.org. I didn't tell you at the beginning because I wanted to jump right into this thing, but also head over to the HopNerd website. That's thehopnerd.com. You can follow along on all things social media at the HopNerd, except for Twitter because it is super duper special. It is the HopNerd one. Hey, we did this one kind of backwards today, didn't we? I'm kind of cool with it. I hope you like it. Everything's good. That's all I've got. It's Sam Goodwin, the HopNerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye.